Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Hi, John Schwab here from Curtain Call, and welcome to episode 147 of the Curtain Call Theater Podcast, the podcast that brings you backstage as close as you possibly can be, often while the shows are actually happening, although not so much these days, but just wait, to meet the people that make theater happen. Just a quick reminder that you can download and subscribe to the podcast from the Apple Podcast app or from iTunes. That way your feed will be automatically updated when we release episodes. But you can also listen to us on many other fine podcast streaming services, such as Stitcher and Google Play. Please rate and review our podcast if you have a spare 30 seconds and help us reach more theater lovers out there around the globe. And now for this week's episode. This is the first full-length episode of our podcast since being under lockdown here in London. And so much has changed in our landscape that, uh, of course, uh, it will change what we're able to bring you on this feed. And uh, we will keep endeavoring to bring you relevant theater interviews um, throughout this trying time. But theater doesn't stop. There have been all kinds of offerings online for previously recorded material from you know, NT Live and Andrew Lloyd Webber and loads more. And we will be announcing here at Curtain Call a very exciting venture ourselves, bringing new playwriting in the very, very near future. And in today's episode, we're talking to a couple of consummate theater professionals who definitely haven't stopped. They're creating right now. And uh, they have been and are defining a new form of theatrical storytelling. I think we will be hearing so much more about dance musicals as Sisters Grimm keep producing groundbreaking shows. They work with pros at the top of their game, including Ladysmith Black Mambazo and Jeremy Irons on iconic shows like Inala and Voices of the Amazon and many more. But not only this, they're constantly engaging in community outreach programs, bringing underprivileged youth into the theater to experience storytelling in a way that they may never have or been able to um, in the past. So uh, I'd like to introduce you to Pietra Mello Pittman and Ella Spiro. They're an inspiration to listen to, and I caught up with them while they were on an unintentional lockdown in Dubai. Have a listen. Why don't we just start off with you guys telling me who you are and and what you're doing out in Dubai, you lucky bastards. (laughs) (laughs) We're in in lockdown in Dubai. Um, We're Sisters Grimm. I'm Pietra Mello Pittman. I'm Ella Spira. And uh, we've been working together 11 years now, 12, 12, 12 years. See, like a married couple, I always get it slightly wrong. <laughs> and, and we made it out to Dubai on the 14th of March, and we've been here since. And uh, we have managed to fall on our feet in the, te- in the sense that we are producing new work. We have a grand piano and a home studio set up here. And Ella's been writing new music, and we've been developing new new work, new shows. Yeah, as well as uh, as well as keeping the business running and keeping everything else going at the same time. And actually, we're we're um, realizing now more than ever how how kind of lucky we are to have built the company in the way that we have, because everybody that we work with does independent working. Yeah, and that has been- yeah. 
you know, actually it's been really helpful for us because the nature of our shows and what we do means we travel a lot. Um, so everybody that we work with needs to be able to work independently. It also means that we've been able to employ lots of amazing mums who want to be able to be there for their kids as well. Um, uh, you know, it's not sort of only for women that, but at the moment in our situation, most of our work course is actually women which is fantastic and has not been deliberate but just happened that way so yeah I think more than ever now we realize that is such a great way to have a company set up because everybody is still able to work and we'd also always planned last year was sort of our best year in the 10 years of Sisters Grimm this is now our second decade and we had the most incredible run of shows and tours and this was always a period that we'd planned to regroup and collect all the data and make the strategy, refine the strategy for the next five, 10 years. And so again, we're really lucky that we'd always plan to not have a show on the road and be sort of creative and creating more IP to put out into the market. So yeah, it's sort of devastating what's happened to the industry at the moment and that things are closed. But from a sister's grim perspective, it's we are, as always, being incredibly creative in the challenges and pushing forwards to create more inspiring, sort of even more groundbreaking work given the global situation. What what was it that made you want to uh, create Sisters Grimm? Uh, I love the name, by the way. It's fantastic. Um, it inspire. It, it just evokes so many images. So how and why and why you do? Uh, maybe the when first, back in 2000, back in the 2008, I was still in the Royal Ballet um, dancing and collaborating with different artists, but it was only when I met Ella um, through a mutual friend who was a film composer at the time and had already won lots of awards that just we clicked in the sense that we both shared very large ambitions and knew that the kind of work that we could create together could get there. We're in totally opposite uh, on that scale of personality analysis, but together I think we balance each other out. And uh, Ella always wants to go to Mars, which I'm totally down with. <laughs> I just have to work out the petrol. And so <laughs> just chat to a few people that have been to the moon and then we'll work it out, we'll get there. I love it, um, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, you have, you, I think you have to put something out there. Like, you know, uh, people, we announced we were going to the moon years before we did it. And I think you have to put it out there. I love, I kind of, uh, I, I love that ethos. Exactly. And in terms of what we do and culturally, I guess I'd always liked collaborating and fusing things and not sticking in boxes. But really our first major project in Arla, theatrical show in Arla, which wasn't the first time our first Sisters Grimm project, but our first major theatrical production in the cultural space that we now dominate um, really came from Ella's musical wish to collaborate. Yeah, yeah, it was kind of, I think the, the reason we sort of started working together was that we had these different disciplines that, you know, music and dance. Mm. Um, and, then, and then it very much became this thing of like, well, actually together we've both got a really good pool of contacts and, and experience base. And what can we do together to kind of bring that all into one space um, and, and do something even more exciting uh, with that combined force. And then um, the, the lack of diversity within certain art forms um, was something that I was very uncomfortable with um, because I grew up in a very diverse environment. 
and um, and actually Pietro and I, what's quite interesting is we've kind of had to analyze it more in the last year and a half, two years, why we have been so drawn to giving a voice to different cultures through our work and through our shows. And that is really kind of the, the driving force with, in, in what we do with our shows um, and where, they, where all the ideas start from. And I think that came from ultimately, if we had to kind of analyze it, is that both of us are from mixed heritage backgrounds. So Pietra was born in Brazil and her mum's Brazilian, her father's English, and I'm third generation Holocaust survivor. And I've got, you know, very mixed, uh, mixed thing going on there. As you, you know, we're British, but that's large and in charge in you know, cultural identity. Um, and I and there's something about, I think, giving a voice to cultures that we think currently don't have as enough representation in our space that is linked to our mixed heritage personally you know for me sure. if I, I i i've had to think about it more recently and i've talked about it more recently because i didn't used to like talking about it because it felt like it was just it, it's it's painful and it's hard but now i think i've i've gotten to a really good place with it feeling like i think somewhere in me i feel like if i can give a voice two cultures through our collaboration and our work, then maybe somewhere along the line, the Holocaust won't happen again. I know that's, you know, dreamlike and airy-fairy in some ways, but that's, I think, where part of it comes from in me. I, I think you have to have a scope for the way your work will improve the world, even if it, I mean, and it could be that huge, but when you break it down, it's like with this show, we're just going to open somebody's mind this little bit. And, um, and I think that dance, what you guys are doing, it has absolutely the, the wonderful uh, uh, availability and privilege of being able to transcend language and culture and everything else, because it's what somebody brings to a dance and brings to a presentation that, that will allow them to interpret your work and your meaning, but expand on it, which then just increases the scope even further with, with every with every viewing as well. So it's, it's a great, uh, it's a, it's a great privilege to be able to do that. Yeah. You know, one of the things that's become more important for us as well is this thing of not just creating diversity on stage, but also creating massive diversity among our audiences. And that was actually a huge part. That's not something that we've only realized now. That was very much a part of why we felt that Inala could be a success because we were going, well, there's this world music audience, and there's this ballet audience. Yeah. And it evolved into contemporary dance and, you know, broader dance yeah. audience. Um, and if we harness those, then actually we can introduce those audiences to other art forms if they're not currently engaged with them anyway. You know, and the thing that we've then built on from that is a social impact program that goes alongside our shows, which is is our initiative you know we're not funded to do it we do it because we want to do it because we want to continue to see more diversity and continue it's not wholly altruistic because ultimately for us as well you know we want great and interesting people to continue to come through the industry and if you don't open people's minds up to it then those people may not know that that is something that they could do and that they actually find that they have a passion for so one of the things that I think we both get so much from is that when we see our shows up and you see this group of people sitting side by side in an audience that usually wouldn't sit side by side. And when we say diversity as well, diversity is colour, but it is also economic. Yeah. And I think conversation around economic diversity <clears throat> sometimes 
doesn't happen enough either. We have a social impact programme um, where we have gifted 6,000 tickets um, to people from lower socioeconomic areas. Amazing. And in, um, in October last year, we just did the most amazing thing I, I think for us it was you know one of our massive highlights it's okay uh, own it praise it be more this is on on world ballet day and during yeah. black history Month, we put inala on at the royal albert hall and we scaled up the cast number a little bit and we had a couple of extra musicians and we decided to increase our social impact program for that we usually do 10 percent of the house that we gift to that target group of people that we want to open up the industry to a bit more. And it's accompanied by sort of careers, um, careers knowledge program. And, uh, but this one, we increased it to 25%. Amazing. We did a spread through the houses, including in the member seats, which are the most expensive. <laughs> is that, is that, where is that, uh, was that Royal Albert Hall or where Royal are you? Hall, yeah. Love, gotta and love it. it. Amazing, and we have people up on the sides dancing, and we have I mean, just the the energy in the room because of the whole thing, because of what it marks, because of you, know, but also just this having such a mixed audience there equally. Amazing, it was incredible. Was sorry, quickly, Inala, was that with Lady Smith Black Mambazo? It was co-written. The music Ella wrote the music with Joseph Shabalala and Lady Smith Black Mambazo. But to take Inala as a as a an example, um, Piaccia, you've got a classical training in Royal Ballet. Taking that into and looking at your your shows, you what the, the Sakura and Enchantress and Boys of Amazon Nala in Great Winter. So you've got you've got a massive range of dance styles. Is you know was that something that you went back to after having been in Royal Ballet, or was that something that was always just one of your things that you needed to to, to get out because it's quite prolific. You guys have been. I know you're talking about your second decade, but the success you've had in such a small period of time and built up these massive shows seems to me like there might be something just that was ready to burst. Oh, well, we, we love the fusion of different disciplines and the choreographers we work with are brilliant at collaborating with the performers that are from different dance disciplines. So when we cast, there might be a talent that's an exceptional hip hop dancer, more contemporary trained and the choreographers fuse it together that's appropriate for the show and the cultures that we're telling the story of. Me personally, I did only train in, I did a bit of tap and jazz and just became a ballerina. But I always, I came to ballet sort of the latest you can come to it in terms of full-time training at 16. So I really loved film and musicals particularly. And so I never really watched ballet performances. I just liked dancing it. So for me, it was always about the music and and the, the different styles of dancing and not putting things in a box. So I think that's also partly why our shows are a mashup, are a mix of different dance styles. And whenever we go to a new territory, we hold auditions and castings and just meet tons of different um, performers and artists. And for example, when we were in Japan um, doing Sakura with Mark Baldwin, he has a gift for stripping it back. He just manages to strip the person just to make them so comfortable that then they start again and forget all the training they've had, actually. And then he has a way of trying to get them to express, you know, who they are and what their culture is in that moment without performing, as it were. 
and his language is more contemporary dance. But then you add the singers to the mix or someone with the most incredible stage presence that has never had any dance training and is a samurai or a break dancer or a tap dancer. And this just magic happens because you feel, I don't know, like the human come through as opposed to the fifth position or the high extension, you know, which is also important. And that's the tough thing about what we do is we demand quite the you know, highest level of aesthetics because I do like a pointy foot. <laughs> I do like it. it doesn't mean you have to have had that training, but certainly when we enter territories where the industry is growing and where there may there hasn't entered into a particular place the training systems that we have um you know in broadway uk and sure. america and then you really see like wow that performer has so much potential and now i kind of appreciate the value of certain disciplines of training like ballet like contemporary dance that you can be the most amazing hip-hop mover but are you going to be able to kind of do an arabesque alongside someone that was a ballerina and not look like you're faking it well probably mm. no yeah. So then actually, yeah, that's a really interesting thing of, you know, we're working on our own training system that would allow people that have incredible potential as performers to then, what, what does that training look like to get them to be a performer in our shows that demands such a cross genre kind of presence? Yeah, I was going to ask about whether or not if anyone was interested in working like it or when you guys reach out, how crucial it is to have had a classical training or and that be it singing or or dancing because it is those are two highly skilled um, you know skill sets or whatever they you know highly useful skill sets to have when you're doing ballet or you're doing uh, classical singing or um, wh which whichever because it's not opera it's it's performance what you guys are doing it's dancing and, and music it's it's more performance but you know when you're on the lookout for baby do, do you take do you take performers? Are you looking like you just said for that performance? Yeah, it's, it's a mix, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, two different answers. It's a mix, yeah. Um, I guess on the, on the extreme ends, we do like fusing the highest standards of dance disciplines alongside a mixture of, of singers. It's the singing that's really key alongside the dance, which makes us not like another dance company that doesn't have live singing. It hits you differently. Yeah. And you don't really see them side by side unless it's a, a musical with script. Um, so, yes, we do need trained dancers of the highest caliber in the classical disciplines. However, we have also cast, like I say, those uh, gems that come through and they didn't have the same dance training, but they just shine and they, you cannot not put them on the stage. I'm not so, fishing, by the way. No, 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 it's, it's good. And it's interesting questions. And on the, on the singing side, we don't need people to be classically trained, but they have to have performance experience and they have to be very confident, strong performers. In fact, almost everybody that I've collaborated with and then um, the people who have been the performers in our shows on the singing side are um, are not classically trained. So going um, going forward here, so you guys you guys are on lockdown in Dubai. Um, there are worse places you could be. <laughs> yeah, you can say um, that. Yeah. You, you were out there working on a new project, anyway. Is that what got you there in the first place, or did you just feel a shift coming? You thought, you know what, we need we need a trip to Dubai to do some thinking. <laughs> Uh, we, we've been developing um, relationships with this region for the last two years. Okay. Uh, 
so we, we've kind of we've we've been in and out for a while. Um, just just add another kind of slightly odd layer to this. I um, we were due to be out here. We were. It was going to be a little later, but everything kind of lined up because I had a hysterectomy on the sixth of February, third of February, and so it wasn't quite up to the point when it was really advised that I travel. But we we needed to get here because we had. A, a person that we wanted to work with here mm. um, in this window and we got out and then the next week they stopped all the flights so we got here just in time um, and you know we are we are active in this region anyway so it's been it's been a great opportunity in lots of ways to be here together being very productive and and we've been able to we've been able to continue writing music because we were already working with that person before the lockdown probably so we're kind of essentially in isolation together. I mean, and you guys that are listening to this can't see, but they're, they're smiling and they're sitting next to each other. So they haven't like fallen out as far as I know. So um, <laughs> some creative partnerships that um, that don't survive as long as you guys have. And and what is it that, I mean, not I'm not trying to be divisive at all, but even Tim Rice and Lord Lloyd Webber like went their separate ways. What is it that keeps you guys going and strong? And, and what are you looking forward to doing next? Oh, we want to be creating a new show every year and, you know, keep doing that. The music for me, like my life is is music. So people often usually ask me, do I miss the ballet? And I've had this a 13 year career and now I get to live like the crazy person that's dancing every day in her head or twiddling around because this new music is just being created, which is the most magical thing to watch. And you can't fabricate it you can't when you see two artists who come from totally different worlds come together and create something new and riff off each other and work like the creation of new music across those cultures to me is like i never want it to end and it's it's one of the my favorite parts of creating our shows because it's the first step Mm. if that music isn't good and it doesn't move people and you don't continually keep making hits you're not going to have a good show and so just that, yeah, forever. Never going never to get bored. Never going to get tired. We quite often joke that, you know, we'll be in our wheelchairs, in our, you know, yeah, going, oh, I've got a great idea for a new show. Oh, you should be like, okay, yeah. I'll just do the budget. Or we'll, you yeah, know. do the budget. God, I hate agents. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I do have to say, a positive thing about this time is that I've never seen, I think more and more talent is self-promoting yeah. because it happens via Instagram, via all these channels, via hashtags and stuff. So, and more and more people are consuming content that they maybe were, didn't have access to before because all the organizations are now live streaming and putting their content out for free. So people are opening their eyes to the different places. And I think as soon as all this is over, there will be a massive rush from new audiences to consume all entertainment and hopefully, you know, the, the balance of, the pricing certainly will will shift because there'll be more audience for it and you won't have so many dark nights so i think i think it's been it's an optimistic and positive view of what's happened now is that actually zoom is amazing good you know congratulations to them we've been meeting dancers and artists and people regardless yeah and putting mood boards together and getting on the phone and you know creating a show is there's so much in the background that I'm sure not many people realize when they sit in the in the audience that we're definitely very busy. 
Anything you'd like to add there, Ella? Um, one of the things that we have developed is a new format of show. And so we don't really sit strictly in the dance box. Um, and I think that's a, a, a bit of a kind of perhaps common misconception of the way that people view dance as being raw ballet or being Sadler's Wells, strictly only the kind of Sadler's Wells programme, which is fantastic for new dance. Um, but what we have done is kind of evolved by joining together our both of our disciplines. It's it's we've coined this term dance musical, and it sits in its own category really. And people have um, kind of compared us a bit to being a bit like a fledgling Cirque du Soleil. In that Cirque du Soleil were some of the champions of taking a particular style of art form and putting it in a putting it in a putting it in a very different setting and opening it out to more people. And I think that our shows sit more comfortably in a West End environment than they do in that strict art house dance environment. And that is where also we think it's really important to bring as many different people from different backgrounds and different places into the theatres because our shows are more accessible for more different types of people than it being just singing or it being just dancing or, you know, it's everything together. Where can people find you online and um, and what can they do to see what you've done previously and what is coming up? I know there's a bit of an uncertainty, but where can they go to to find out what you will be showing and, and what you've been up to? So everyone can definitely follow us on Instagram at underscore sisters underscore grim. And that's where we're uploading all our future ideas that we're working on and past work and celebrating everything we've worked on to date across the different shows and our social impact program. And then we have individual accounts for each show, Inala and Voices of the Amazon um, and the rest of our slate. So our website, www.sisters-grim.co.uk. Guys, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thanks, have a good day. You, you too. Bye. All the best. Bye. Pietra Mella Pittman and Ella Spiro, the dynamic duo behind Sisters Grimm. Head on over to their website, sisters-grimm.co.uk, that's Grimm with two M's, to find out more about everything they're up to. If you are a theater professional, head on over to curtaincallonline.com and sign up for a free profile page. All you have to do is create an account with an email address, make up a cool password, and away you go. Take the opportunity during this time to get yourself employment ready when this all lifts uh, with an awesome profile that you can share with anyone even on the go. You can follow us on all the socials, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at Curtain Call. Uh, that's all in word. And you can follow me personally, at John Schwab, S-C-H-W-A-B, John with an H. We'd love to hear from you if you have any suggestions or feedback for the podcast. Just get in touch with us via any of the social media platforms I just mentioned, or write to me personally at john at curtaincallonline.com. It just leaves me to say a huge thank you to Elispira and Pietra Mella Pittman from Sisters Grimm. Everyone, follow them on their socials for updates on what they'll be creating once we get out of lockdown, because I know I, for one, will be hitting that show just for some magic. It's incredible. Thanks for listening to the Curtain Call Theater Podcast. Stay safe, stay inside, wash your hands, reach out to someone, anyone, ask them how they're doing. You might just make their day. Bye.
Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There is enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise. <laughs> 